The important question isn't why I became obsessed with St. Francis of Assisi. I've asked myself how it happened and tried to retrace my memory and I can't find anything. The more important question is when I became obsessed with St. Francis of Assisi. Because it can't be a coincidence that the year we lost so much of our life to a fire and a chronic illness took hold of me again, I started to read constantly about this random man who lived in the 1200s. Today's reading is on St. Francis and how he affected me the year of the fire. I read a book on St. Francis by G.K. Chesterton, and I'll be sharing a lot of his insight here. While I was writing this, as a joke, I said to my family that they all needed to go around the room and say their number one time that Francis impacted them emotionally, and they laughed at me, but of course my dad came through and talked about how St. Francis, quote, helps him be more in tune with the natural part of existence. The natural part of existence, suggesting that most of what we do and surround ourselves with is unnatural even fake, like a simulation of things and stuff that is designed to convince us that buildings and clothes and money have eternal significance when they don't. He was a mystic preacher in the 1200s who was famous for preaching not only to people but to birds, woodland creatures, fellow prison inmates, Muslims, etc., like my dad said, he believed in natural existence, he loved nature, and had little to no attachment to any possessions. It's said that once when his hood was robbed of him by a beggar, he chased after the man to give him the rest of his clothes as well. He was mystical and strange, but too likable and friendly for anyone to care or do anything about it. He never thought about appearance, intellect, reputation, or money. As Chesterton says, through all his plunging and restless days ran the refrain, I have not suffered enough. I have not sacrificed enough. I am not yet worthy, even of the shadow of the crown of thorns. He longed for poverty and self-denial and sacrifice, but was also somehow full of joy and passion and life. And better yet, this was his greatest ministry tactic against anyone who opposed him. As the book says, you could not threaten to starve a man who was ever striving to fast. You could not ruin him and reduce him to beggary, for he was already a beggar. My senior year of high school, our house caught on fire while I was gone one night, and I came home to a mountain of black smoke, nine fire trucks, and a neighborhood full of disturbed neighbors in the drizzling rain. I had to run through people to even find my family, but when I did... Micah quickly rushed me to our neighbor's garage, where he had dragged our dogs, Milo and Willow, to safety. They were happy and buzzing from excitement, and I sat with them for a bit. While outside, my childhood burned. That year saw funerals, frantic and weary displacement, and waking up every day to a chronic illness that left me in constant struggle, discomfort, and pain. It is the year that has followed me more than any other. I became obsessed with St. Francis that year, and I think that if he had been there that night when it all started, he never would have left the room with the dogs. I became obsessed with St. Francis because he would have seen the loss of my home and belongings as a blessing, a purge of earthly, material baggage. 
and I needed that radical opinion. Willow died earlier this year, and honestly, Milo will probably follow her soon. But our dogs make our life much better, brightening our day and tethering us to the natural existence. My house that year was just a simulation of what a home truly is. The things inside it were just shallow, material representations of meaning and worth. This is the city of man, and its things are like breath on a mirror. All is vanity, as Solomon says, or as my friend Toby constantly quotes, I'm not sentimental, this skin and bones is a rental. My family was safe and alive that night, and I would live through a thousand house fires for that. In writing about Francis's death, Chesterton says, a man might fancy that the birds must have known when it happened and made some motion in the evening sky. Hidden in the woods, perhaps, were little cowering creatures, never again to be so much noticed and understood. I notice about the world around me a common theme of distraction, and in a consumerist society where ads and entertainment compete to the death for our attention, it's easy to pick the wrong thing to focus on. But when I think of St. Francis, the man who bore the wounds of Christ and offered to throw himself in a fire for God, suddenly I find myself putting down my phone and looking out at the world. Francis's legacy has survived because the people who met him remembered him. But he never broadcasted a single thing he did, never published complex works like most other theologians or begged for an audience. When he did something good, he hoped that no one would see. But I'm glad we did. Still, his example is monumental. And I understand the hypocrisy that I'm writing this in the hopes that it will be seen and liked. But maybe we can at least try to do something today that is good without posting about it, without telling people about it. And if we are lucky, maybe without even remembering it. Maybe we can be the type of people who chase after the beggars who've robbed us, who long to fast, who tend to the birds as much as we tend to ourselves, and who look at the night sky with a wonder that never ages, because the natural existence is a wonder that never ages. St. Francis's life is not lost on me, because God designed the timeline of my life so that my obsession with the man who owned nothing emerged in the year I lost everything. We are attached to a lot of things and earthly worries, and I hope that we are purged of them in whatever painful way God has for us, and that we are met with all of the joy and strangeness and mysticism of St. Francis on the other side.